Welcome and thank you for joining us here on the Legal Technology Review Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Folk. I'm a civil litigator. I'm the author of The Cyber Advocate. And today we are going to be talking about e-discovery, one of those things that most of you hate. You curse it in your sleep, you curse it under your breath, and you are really, really unhappy with California's new rule for all of you left coasters who now are obligated by your state to sort of competently practice e-discovery. I think there are a lot of people in the profession that would suggest that it's unnecessary, but there are a lot who are like me who think that it's simply been ignored. We are fortunately, I think, moving past that time, and I'd, I'm very excited to introduce my guest, Mr. Andy Webb. I've known him for a couple of years now, and I've worked with him when he was working on the vendor side, so the money-grubbing uh, evil uh, side of this particular coin. The dark side, the, Brian. the dark side, yes. Well, and then now, and now he's now he's working, uh, working for the well. It's definitely not the, we're, not, we're not the good guys. You're kind of working <laughs> for like the the intermediary. You're you're working for the lawyers now. So it's great. Um, I'm very excited to uh, to welcome Mr. Andy Webb. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me, Brian. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, and, and I know this is something that you've been dealing with for a long time. Back uh, back in the day, you uh, you you helped me print off over 100,000 pages of records for a, a case involving bank accounts, which is just terrible, but you've been doing this for a while. Uh, I've been around the block, so to say, yes. Um, I, I've, I've been in this game for now, gosh, going on uh, 12 years, amazingly. Um, I don't know where the time goes, but uh, it's, been, it's been interesting uh, to see everything change and uh, stuff that hasn't changed. <laughs> well, and I, and I know what you were doing when you were, when you were working for the vendors. D- describe a little bit what you're doing now. So now, I, honestly, um, I'm doing a lot of what I used to do in a vendor role in-house, um, working at a law firm. Um, I am, I've taken on uh, basically the in-house vendor role, and we basically have eliminated the, uh, the vendor uh, equation out of our uh, e-discovery plan. Um, one of the interesting things about doing it this way is it significantly reduces the cost to our clients, and it puts us much more in control of uh, of our processes, and we don't have to fight the uh, you know call the vendor at eleven o'clock to change a <laughs> uh, to make a change to this production. Um, it, it, it streamlined our process significantly. In looking at the current, I guess, world of e-discovery, there seems to be a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of gnashing of teeth because there's. I think a, a, a huge misunderstanding about e-discovery and and who it affects. A lot of the articles that I read coming out of some of the major population centers in the country seem to operate on this notion that everyone should just simply accept that e-discovery is the standard practice. Practicing here in North Carolina, my feeling has not been the same. How do you feel about whether about that that kind of perception that e-discovery should be everywhere and how it really seems to work in the real world? It's that that's an interesting thing, um, especially being here. I'm I'm here in North Carolina as well. Being in North Carolina, our uh, state civil rules of procedure are actually ahead of where the the federal rules are, um, and where we actually call out you need to produce metadata as part of electronic discovery. That is standard, uh, whereas the federal rules don't go quite so far. But being here, not in a major uh, a major cent- business center, 
e-discovery is definitely taking its its time uh warming up to the to the masses uh even with that civil rules procedure change uh, almost 4 years ago at this point so we still see you know we we, we still are constantly in the um you know a 1500-page PDF is not a form of electronic production. <laughs> that's not a native. It's not a native production. Um, you know, the, the the printing out of all of one's Gmail uh, to uh, paper is not a form of native. You know, we're not dealing with electronic discovery at that point. So I, we are. I, we're still in a in a uphill battle. Um, I, I like to say with with e-discovery uh, here in North Carolina. And and kind of everywhere that's not New York, D.C., Chicago, or San Francisco. So it, it, it I like to say we're getting there, but it, it is still uh, it's still a constant uh, constant battle on, on that regard. And I would like I, personally, I would like to see it improve uh, because uh, having to send off uh, you know ten thousand pages to be unitized is not a fun task. Still, it's funny because I, I'm definitely in in your camp and. I was back in the day when we were working on this, this kind of stuff that the electronic documents, I actually read a, a pretty good article, I think about two weeks ago, saying that we really need to get rid of this concept of the document, you know, the word document, because the word document connotates an image. What we really need to change, instead of having interrogatories and requests for production of documents, you need to have interrogatories and requests for production of information. Yeah, absolutely. And and because this document does conjure an image of a page. Do you mm-hmm. think that it's a lack of knowledge about what can be found on these this type of information? Um from what I've seen um you know in in my uh, 10 years or so in, in a smaller uh environment um is it it definitely it's a bit of you know just a complete lack of knowledge on the attorney's part um of understanding the benefits of having all that information available to them. Um, you know, for anybody that's been involved in larger litigation over the past 20 years, you know, the old scan in, uh, uh, you know, file records full of, uh, of paper and then have it coded for subject, date, uh, title, all that information. Well, all that, th- all that information is already there in electronic discovery and you know, all electronic documents. It's already there, ready for you to organize and sort chronotic, you know, in chronological order. Um, jump right to the key time frame that you're talking about. Um, and so, there's a bit of a lack of understanding there. But there's, I hate to say it, but I also think that there's still. Um, it used to be very prevalent, but now it's it, it's still still there. Is a bit of gamesmanship, of of using the, uh, you know the. The metadata, if you were, as well, we're not going to give it to them initially, but maybe if they ask for it, we'll, we'll, we'll give it to them. Uh, we're not going to help them out if we don't have to. Um, when really you should be requesting the same thing from them and make your review of their stuff just as easy as it was of, of your own collections. And what was kind of interesting the, uh, the idea of gamesmanship. Um... The, the, the federal rules, I don't know if you've followed much about the uh, updates to the federal rules. I imagine mm-hmm. if you haven't, they will be impacting you, at the very least indirectly, about this idea that, you know, you absolutely do have to meet and confer. And, of course, you know, yes, gamesmanship on one part, but also shame on you on, you know, the other way, looking at the other attorney, if you did not seek right from the start to have metadata preservation in your 
you know, in your case right. management order. And along those lines, have you experienced either in your firm or just recently uh, in as an e-discovery, uh, I guess, practitioner, expert, guru, wizard, mage, whatever, uh, <laughs> how have you experienced the way attorneys seem to come to the revelation of, of the greatness of e-discovery after a case has started? So the, the, <laughs> the, the magic wand um, it, it, over the past, re, you know, past couple of years has been analytics. Utilizing, and you don't necessarily have to have the electronic, you know, the, the metadata to have this magic wand waved, but it really it ties in um, to the whole notion that we can take all this disparate information um, that isn't terribly useful on its own on an individual level, and we can run it through a, a program, and boom, you, you now have documents categorized, sorted, um, you know, it, it increases your review speeds tenfold at times um, to get rid of all the junk information. Whereas, you know, if you were just doing an old style linear review of w- document one through 100,000, um, every hundredth document you get to is, you know, the, the P.F. Chang's advertising email or the stuff from Golfsmith. Um, or you know, just the junk email that you can't get rid of uh, without having all that metadata in there to be able to easily filter it out. Um, that type of that type of aha moment of taking a hundred thousand documents down to you know ten thousand relevant documents with a wave of a wand and, and an hour's worth of, of computer time. Um, that that's a big aha moment for a lot of the attorneys that, that I've, I've worked with in the past uh, and currently. Now, we were talking earlier uh, before, the, before the podcast about why, why I was really looking forward to interviewing you. Is you've got this unique perspective, this perspective from coming from the vendor side and then coming from the inside of the law firm. Uh, it's not something that a lot of people have the benefit of. It's not, it's not something a lot of law firms have the benefit of that you actually are able to pr- provide this interesting 360 degree uh, perspective. Along those lines, though, focusing more on your on your current practice, describe for the listeners how your involvement with the case starts. Well, ideally, um, it involve it. I'm involved right from the planning stages, um, right from okay, we're. This is going to become litigation, or we got a re- our client comes to us and says, "We just got sued. Uh, now what?" Um, ideally, I like to get brought in on that. It doesn't always happen, um, but uh, a lot of times it, it people think it's going to be a small matter, and then it it balloons and it becomes a little bit larger than than they can manage. Um, but ideally, come in and we work on a game plan from day one of understanding. What our client has, um, what's going to, what's, what are, what do we have a duty to preserve, um, preserving it, and then working on our best game plan as to um, how to go after our collections of that information, and the biggest thing that any any uh, size litigation can benefit from benefit from are custodian interviews, interviewing the people that are actually involved with the data on a day-to-day basis um, that know where, okay, yeah, we have a shared folder here, 
But I also like to store stuff here on my local drive that says personal. And then also can point in the direction of who else. Um, who else is going is involved who that we haven't identified as an attorney or client um, that might have some relevant information uh, on this case that we not we, we didn't think about initially. Um, so the biggest thing for me is are, are the custodian interviews. That strikes me as very important, and I think that's probably something that if you're an attorney now and you're not fully versed in e-discovery, you probably you, you probably hear e-discovery and think one of two things rather than both at once, and one is defensive e-discovery and the other is offensive. Defensive e-discovery is, I think, just what you described. It's making sure you've got litigation holds in place. It's making sure that documents and, and metadata and electronic data is being retained. Anyone who's experienced with, with defensive e-discovery will know that you can't take a server and copy it to another hard drive and call that 100% record preservation because you have already changed the files just by moving them. But on the flip side of that, you've got attorneys uh, who are more experienced in probably in litigation who get involved when the, once the lawsuit's been filed and who think of e-discovery in terms, more in terms of you know, sparring during the discovery phase. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about when it comes to identifying the custodians. When I go for medical records, I'll send a fax, an email, and a phone call to the medical records custodian. When you get involved in a case with a corporation, a, you know, a bank, an insurance company, who do you look for first? Generally, um, we, I, I, I like to start in the IT department, which sounds strange, but I like to get an idea of how they envision their systems being set up. Essentially, get our data map, which is an e-discovery term that you know, ideally you'd have an, an idea of where every piece of information in your in your firm or your company or your corporation lies. The IT department helps to kind of get that base level idea of where everything should be. And then from there we try to work out into the what are identified as the key departments. Um, so uh, just it's essentially just kind of like a spider web out from there. Um, it's almost the same way you would investigate like a hack, it sounds like. It's very much the same way um, because you're not going to get to where, you know, where the key, the smoking gun is right off the bat unless, you, you know, unless you know, it's that obvious of a, of a situation where, okay, this happened on this day and it was because of this incident. Um, generally, it's a little bit more of a long-term um, systemic thing that, that's been going on. And so it's going to involve more than just uh, one, one custodian. Um, and a lot of times, you know, it's, it, it's involving an entire department that has changed um, over the past five years. And so, you know, this person isn't here anymore, um, so, but this person took their position. Uh, so trying to identify who all has been in what roles um, in the in the key departments that are involved in the in the litigation really helps identify what's where and that's where the custodian interviews are in, are I think crucial to identifying who um, you know you haven't been in this role for all five years that this request is for who else who was here before you um, and try to work backwards that way too to identify who else was there um, and if any of that information is still is, is still out there. Or if that person just transferred transferred uh, departments and is still available. We're talking about e-discovery on the Legal Technology Review podcast, and we'll be right back. 
You're listening to the Legal Technology Review on the Cyber Advocate. The show is powered by B&R Concepts for all of your law firm's IT and technology needs. Don't forget to follow all the latest on technology and tools for legal professionals at www.thecyberadvocate.com. Back with Andy Weber talking about e-discovery, talking about pre-litigation or pre-discovery management of electronic information. I know that a lot of attorneys will look at the e-discovery and say it's complex and it's too much to deal with. Once litigation really starts, though, how how do you help streamline that process? So, one of the tools that we have brought into our uh, workflow uh, in-house. And many other firms have have, have utilized it uh, for for several years now. Um, is the early case assessment tools that are out there? And once you're kind of into it, and you start to get some information, uh, you start to get some collections rolling in. Maybe um, being able to roll those early collections uh, of what you've identified as key custodians into a into the ECA tool really helps you kind of get a start with a 30,000 foot view of the case and quickly funnel that down to hopefully uh, the relevant documents where you can throw in the filtering of the the junk mail um, or you know it's between these two domains you can quickly jump in and and filter it down to the the domains that are that are relevant at this point that's really worked for our, our workflows especially for the investigative phase of uh, and mainly, you know, we're, we're talking about the um, uh, about the defensive side here. But you know, for for any type of investigative process, the ECA tools really, really help jump to what is going to be the key documents quickly, so that the attorneys, when they're preparing for uh, the meet and confers or you know, SEC meetings or whatever meeting it might be, goes in understanding what they have without having to spend hundreds of hours reviewing the, the millions of records that they may have just collected. Um, they can really get an idea of it. I think it's interesting to say, okay, so on one hand you could say that e-discovery is essentially, you know, it's taking and scanning and it would be the equivalent of scanning and categorizing documents. But as you were discussing earlier, there is a there is a key word here that is really the big difference between a document that's converted to an electronic format and a digital document. It's metadata. Mm-hmm. Describe for our listeners, because even though I seem to shout from the rooftops about it, I want someone who deals with this stuff as their job. What benefit does metadata give you? Well, metadata, you know, it, it's the, the layman's term is it's the data about the data, information about the information. Um, and what it's, what it's, I, I, I know, I, I, it's, it, it, it's a throwaway. It, it's a throwaway term now, but um, you know it, it really it helps you, like you said, categorize documents um, based on document type. Um, it, you want to see all the Excel files because you know that the, there's a report in there that's key. You can identify those those Excel files based on file type very quickly. You want to a very in depth uh, example. Um, we had a case. Uh, I was involved in a case where. Uh, document discovery was done, 
everything was produced back and forth. You know, the standard metadata was produced, um, and native native files were produced for Excel's and PowerPoints, stuff that doesn't go to paper very well. And question came back: Well, this email was sent in 2008, but this Excel file that was attached to it shows it was edited on, you know, 2012. What's the story? Are you modifying your documents? Well, with the, the fact that we have metadata involved, we were able to go back through the records and find out, okay, well, our client was running uh, ex- Exchange 2003, which at, the, at that time allowed you to open a document up that was an attachment, make edits to it, and save it back to the, the embedded message. So that's, you know, case was filed, client went in there, looked at the document, made some notations inside the document and saved it back. They they were doing things as they had always done, but because the way their their old system was set up, it allowed them to to make edits uh to what essentially should have been a preserved file. Well, the the amazing thing about that to me is that when when you have e-discovery, it is necessary for the attorneys involved to understand what's going on because I can tell you from personal experience that there are plenty of attorneys who would never have looked at the metadata. Perfect demonstration of how important it is to be very thorough when you're involved in these in these cases. Absolutely. Yeah, like you said, from both sides, from the side that noticed the issue to the side that, you know, had the data to back it up that, you know, this was the this was the practice that was in place and this was the server that was being used. Nothing malicious, no malicious intent involved. Well, at least not in Altering the evidence. Correct. We're not. We, I don't. I don't know about the underlying case, and I won't ask. <laughs> <laughs> now, what are your? I, I'm. I'm curious about this because I've started. I've started to look around at some of these uh, companies that are getting bigger, um, and some of the software is pretty fun. What are your favorite e-discovery tools to use? Boy, um, that fun e-discovery tools to use. We're talking to a very niche group. I'm a nerd. Like I'm a nerd. It's, it's just what happens. <laughs> it's. Um, one of my, one of my favorites, um, f- just from a pure investigative perspective, is Nuix, um, which the full version of Nuix is really really expensive, mm-hmm. but they have a nice lightweight version. But it's called Proof Finder. That is a very very cool tool. What what, what does it do? That is your um, your data an- analysis tool uh, at the very very binary level. So we're, you know, we've been talking about metadata, piecing that together, and all of the standard review tools, they'll handle meta- metadata. They'll, whatever field you want to pop in there, they'll, you know, they'll gladly accept. Nuix, um, I mean, it, it ingests forensic data image files. So you can take an exact bit-for-bit copy of a hard drive and plug it into uh, Nuix or Proof Finder, and it will parse everything out make it searchable, and some of the cool new features are it, it will start to dot, dot some lines together to some pieces that on the surface are not very noticeable. Um, so it'll start to draw some, some connections between things that are not, to the naked eye, very obvious that they're connected. Piece, not just the laptop's hard drive information into the thing, but also uh, mobile phone data, that pulls in text messages and locations. It has some location awareness, so you can see this message was sent from this phone at this location 
at this time. With wearables and the Internet of Things, that I, I feel like location is going to start to be the big... Yes. Well, I don't know if it's... Uh, some people are going to consider it great. Some people are going to consider, consider it terrible. Other people, uh, other people are going to consider it business, yeah. So, uh, you know, Nuix is a really cool tool. It does a lot of things. And most, most of the vendors that are out there um, have that available to them. And it's a, it's a really, really, really powerful piece of processing software that, you know, you, you do have to feed it the right, you know, you, you have to give it the right information. And if you're having somebody else do some of this analysis, they have to have the, the knowledge of what you're trying to prove or what you're trying to go after to help you, help guide you down that path. So that's a really neat, very geeky tool. One of the biggest kind of gray areas still in electronic discovery, in my view, um, is still social uh, social media. There's a really, uh, really cool tool out there that does a lot of social media ingestion better than anybody else I've seen out there. They don't do it perfect, but they do it a whole lot better than uh, taking screenshots of somebody's Facebook page. And that's that's uh, X1. Yeah, X1. They're basically the only name in the game for getting truly high-level stuff from a number of uh, social media providers. We're uh, we're talking to to Andy Webb about that, which which should make every teenager tremble. The fact that their social media profiles are probably all discoverable, and we can figure out where, when, how, on what app, and on what device. If you have the discovery vendor that <laughs> that understands what they're doing, uh, stick around. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can really help us out by heading over to iTunes, look up the Cyber Advocates Legal Technology Review, and go ahead and leave us a rating and review. We appreciate it. It would really help us out. And if you'd like, go ahead and leave your Twitter handle. That way we'll be able to thank you for taking the time. Welcome back. We're, we're talking to Mr. Andy Webb about e-discovery. What is your what? G- give me give me your worst experience in e-discovery. <laughs> um, the the worst experience. Um, I want to go on the receiving end of uh, of e-discovery for a second, um, and it kind of goes back to um, the you know uh, fifteen hundred page PDF is not our is not an acceptable form of production. Um, we had a, it was involved in a case where, um, the other side was not, they were very much stuck in their comfort zone and they, uh, they actually, uh, it advised their client, um, uh, this all came out in our discovery. <laughs> they actually advised their client to print out their email from Gmail, uh, wherever it was and just give it to them in that form because that way, you know, they, they could say that they, they received it from their client in a format that was, we don't have metadata. We got paper from our client. And to top matters off with that, uh, the client also took it upon themselves to delete their entire mailbox. So there was no going back and getting to the actual information at hand. And that was a big, big example of what not to do uh, when advising your client on uh, <laughs> forms of production. Is there really any way to recover from from something like that? Given the time frame that was involved and the fact that um, the the end user deleted the the account, and there there was nothing to discover. Given your uh, point of view, you have had the perspective of looking both directions in this kind of thing. 
if you could name three things, give me three things that you would love to see attorneys do to make your life or even an e-discovery vendor's life better. Well, from an e-discovery vendor as well as um, your IT department's side of things, if you host everything in-house, is ask for native files over TIFF productions. If the attorneys will sit down and have a reasonable discussion and see that getting documents in a native format or far exceeds getting things in, uh, tiffed out with the metadata or tiffed out with maybe the, the Excel file in native format, it will make their lives so much better. It'll make the IT department's lives better because you know if you've got 100 gigabytes worth of, of native files, that's about 500 gigabytes worth of of TIFF files that, that have to get loaded up, uh, equivalent. So it, it's just it's a, it's a night and day difference between just dealing with TIFF files and de- just dealing with native files. That's my number one, and that's the pipe dream because a lot of people are still very, very scared of turning over the native documents. They don't know what's hidden in the metadata that might help or hurt them, so they'd rather just forget that it's there for the time being. So that, that's, my, that's my number one. Um, you know, no, number two... The biggest one is whether you have an in-house team uh, or rely on a vendor, have a go-to second chair for your vendor um, because you'll never know when you dump the biggest project you've ever had on your main vendor and then another one, your normal course of business stuff comes in and your vendor has to choose, well, do you want this or do you want this? Being able to have someone else that you trust and you know ahead of time um, that that can really make the attorney's life a whole lot easier. Um, and, and the the other one kind of ties to that is um, you know know your know your vendor. You know that that involves having you know your confidentiality agreements in place with them ahead of time. It, but it also involves know what your what your vendor's doing with your data. And I would say some might say if, with sensitive data, request all copies of it be destroyed once they gave it back to you. I would say do it with all the data. Once a case is done, make sure that they are destroying that data from all the places that it might hide. If you give clear, explicit instructions on how to handle your own data with a vendor, you don't have to worry about where data might be lingering um, from a security point of view. Three excellent pieces of advice. Native files. My God, I can't explain how many times I wish that that would just be asked for right from the start. Yep. <laughs> uh, Always go. Always make sure you have a second vendor in place, just in case. Because, just like uh, just like attorneys and anyone else, you've got your your skilled experts, and they only have 24 hours in a day. Although they will charge you quite <laughs> a lot for those 24 hours. And to and to make sure that you know what rights you have, you need to make sure that you are the one who owns the data, not the vendor. Make sure that you are able to give express explicit instructions that that data is to be destroyed after you know a point certain or a date certain or a time certain three excellent pieces of advice mr andy webb i want to thank you for uh joining us today on legal technology review podcast part of the cyber advocate i appreciate you having me it was fun uh fun chatting with you you can get some more information about mr webb on cyber advocate thank you for joining us today and see you next week (laughs) 